So you notice the song said, Waging War. Good morning. <laughs> Everybody's looking like, what was that? So it was the women's retreat for 2015. So the women that was there, I can truly say I was there, and I can tell you we launched war on the enemy. So those of you that was there, you either can agree or not, but I can tell you I walked away slaying some Goliaths. And hopefully you're still slaying some Goliaths. So if you were there and you slayed some of your Goliaths, let's hear her. Amen. Amen. So that right there was just the beginning to kick 2015 off for the women. So having said that, it has been a battle like never ever before since that retreat. And I want to tell you why. Because that wasn't just us meeting in the house. It was us setting the, the presidents for this year. Because as women, what does the enemy want to take out? Who does he want to take out? He want to take you women. Not that you men aren't special. I'm not saying that. But the women, think about it. You nurse the children. You hold the, you know, the men are the head. You are the head. <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. But if your husband get up in a good mood and you get up right after him, you can alter his whole day. Going to preach it then. Well, I don't want to preach it, but we can mess up his whole day and be in a bad mood, and the rest, we could get up and be grouchy, and his whole day is what? Come on, talk to me, women. You know you can control his whole day by being grouchy, right? Mm -hmm. We just got to put on a good attitude, and, and he, we have messed him up going out of the house. So we cut, they're the head, but we're the neck that kind of control the head. <laughs> Come on now. Let's be real. So we have to get some things in order so that we can make our, we can help our husbands flow a lot better, correct? Amen. So as Lance was singing the accuser, what can your accuser say now? We have some Goliaths that have been controlling us for a long time. And what we learned at the retreat was, retreat, kind of, one of the sisters said retreat was mean you backing up and you're kind of, and we had all kind of definitions for retreat. But what we said was we was resting, refueling, and coming back out for battle. Mm -hmm. But we were slaying our Goliaths. But I can tell you one thing. We had a sister that slayed her Goliath, and I tell you what, she don't look the same. But she wasn't the only one. A lot of us don't look the same. But it's not an easy warfare. So you got to know what you're doing. You got to be consistent. You got to be dedicated. You've got to just put the armor on, keep it on, and fight this battle 24-7. So this isn't just a message for the women. It's a message for the men. Mm -hmm. Because we can't be in our battle by ourselves. No, we're going to lead you. We well, we you want you to lead us, brother. Mm -hmm. yeah. we're gonna we talk want about the brothers today. to lead us. And we will follow. But what messes us up when we don't have a brother lead us? Because then the women start leading. But we don't want the women to lead. We want, we want our men to lead us. And as they're leading us, we are glad to follow. It's when they don't lead us, we get all jacked up. <laughs> Amen. Talk to me. But if they're leading, we want to follow them. Amen. So we're going to support them in following us. Mm. I mean, excuse me. See, you didn't even correct me, brother. Mm. Uh, he said, mm. I'm listening. You're preaching my message. You're oh, preaching I'm my sorry. message. I'm going to get your message. But what I'm trying to say is we want to support our husbands this year. We're going to slay those Goliaths that we have as women because we do have our own Goliaths. And so if you have a Goliath today, deal with our own stuff because we always want to fix them. But we don't want to fix ourselves. And so that retreat was 
awesome. Next year, we're going to have another one. So don't wait till the last minute because we don't open up registration once we close it. So you want to be about it, get on it, because we pray about we pray about the whole entire thing. We don't do anything unless God tells us to do it. But the one thing I want you to know is this year, we're not trying to fix anybody but ourselves. We're not trying to fix our children. We're not trying to fix our husband. We're trying to fix ourselves as women. Because if we can fix ourselves, and, and let me tell you something, we're not fixing ourselves. We're giving everything that we feel to God and letting God say what we got to do. Because we can't fix ourselves. We've been doing that a long time, and how is it working for you? Is it working out for you? It's not working. So we're giving everything, all those Goliaths, all those things to God, and we're being obedient and do what he says do. You heard the key there, being obedient and do what he says to do, even when it's uncomfortable. And I frankly don't like everything he tells me to do. But I have to do it. Because there's greater things for me if I be obedient and do it. Mm. Sounds good? So women, tie your bandanas on because you got some from the retreat. And let's get busy. Why don't you pray about our message? Hey, get, won't you, wasn't that good? Well, Father, we just pray now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you anoint Greg, my husband, our pastor. I pray that you anoint him in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I pray, Lord, that self be removed and that your Holy Spirit, Lord, that your anointing, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you send us your word. Fresh manna, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Father, you know each and every one of us here today. And I pray that we do not leave the same way that we came in. I pray, Lord God, that you, Lord God, hallelujah, hmm, meet us where we're at. We yield ourselves to you now in the name of Jesus. We say no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We say, Lord God, every weapon that's formed against us shall be dismantled now Amen. in the name of Jesus. I say, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, your angels are informed around us and about us now. I say every device and every principality shall be subject to your will now and your authority in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you anoint him from his head to the soles of his feet. I say, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Lord God, will engulf him now in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And your word will flow like never, ever before. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, honey. Well, in case you haven't sensed it, am I on? Come on. Somebody, somebody give me some feedback. Come on. All right. Good morning, everybody. Actually, it's afternoon. I see I fooled you already. Now, in case you haven't sensed it, my wife and I have been in heavy spiritual warfare, and a lot of it has to do with what we believe God has for this church. And so um, just know that you are well prayed over. Every day, we pray for you. We have yet to see what God has in store for us here, family. I, I really believe that, and I think that you can see that, too. We are in the fifth week of our message series I've titled Call to Lead. Uh, it's where we're taking a look at our responsibility as a church to lead in our community, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the territory that God has sent us to. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to talk about a topic that we don't talk about very much. We're going to deal with respect today. 
Okay, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. How many of you brought your Bibles with me? Let me, let me see you. Yeah, see, you're going to need it today because we're going to be turning and learning. Everybody say turning, turning. and learning. That's what we're going to be doing today. All right. Father, once again, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege, breaking open your word. We don't take it lightly. Infuse your word with power. I intentionally remove myself out of the way. I've worked, prayed, studied, fasted, practiced. I've done all the things that I can do, Lord, in my human flesh. And now you take over, Holy Spirit. You take control. Speak through my lips. Think through my mind. Walk through my feet. Minister through my hands, I pray in Jesus' name. And all those that agree with that prayer said, amen. First Timothy chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1, I'm reading out the ESV, so your version might look a little different. Paul writes, he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. We're going to stop right there. At respectable. We're going to spend some time today, all of our time, on the subject of respect. It's a big word. It's a powerful word. In the Bible, the word respect means the same thing in both the Hebrew and the Greek language. It means to honor and to value. It means to fear, to revere, or to hold in reverence. And all those words I just said, they're all interchangeable in both the Old and the New Testament. And so the scripture teaches us that there's a healthy respect, and healthy respect begins with respect for God. The psalmist writes in Psalms 110, 111.10, it says, The fear of the Lord, the respect or the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. And then the Proverbs, all written through the Proverbs, tells us that the Fear of the Lord brings many things. It brings humility, long life, peace. Then Proverbs 22 and 4 says that to revere or to reverence the Lord brings with it riches and honor to life. Then the preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 at the end of the book, he says, the conclusion of the matter when all is said and done, this is what needs to be heard. Fear the Lord or revere the Lord, respect the Lord, keep his commandments. Watch this now. This is the whole duty of man. Fear the Lord. You know, we don't, we don't have respect for the Lord like we used to. God has become our buddy now. But that's not the God we serve. Bible says he's worthy of respect. I remember as a young man growing up, I'm a preacher's kid for those of you who don't know. I remember as a young man growing up, Friday evenings was, was youth night. And so every Friday evening, I'd go to church. And so most of the time, I'd take some friends with me. And I remember riding in my car to church. I had a bad car, y'all. It's a 1969 Buick Riviera. Or the 455 quadrajet carburetor, glory to Jesus. That thing, would, that, thing would, that thing would move, right? 
I had my speakers, I had them in the front, I had two speakers on the seat in the back, two speakers up in the, on the back in the, in, the, in the window deal, and two speakers right next to those, man. I mean, I would, when I turned my music on, it was bumping, right? And, and, so, and, and I would be driving to church with my friends, and we'd just be, I mean, getting it, right? But watch this. When, when we got to the church grounds, I cut my music off. I was listening, watching a video uh, by Lecrae as he was addressing the congregation this week and it reminded me of this, the respect we have for God. I cut my music off because I was listening to worldly music, right? And we were getting ready to pull onto, onto the, the property that belonged to God. And so there was sacred ground. I'd, I'd cut my music off, right? Because I wanted to respect God. Now I had a distorted view of respect at the time. Because when church was over on Friday evening, I'd go out and get twisted. I had to grow a little bit, you know. But, but back when I'm, my point is, back then on those days, we had a very healthy respect for God, even in that way. Scripture commands us, reminds us constantly to respect God. Interestingly, though, to, when, today, when it, when it comes to respect for others, we tend to operate as if we have an option. We operate on the premise that we have a right, a personal right to, to give respect or to withhold it. But today, I want to challenge you in your thinking. I want to challenge that paradigm. Because I, I will show you today that Scripture commands us that we need to respect each other. That respect for others is a commandment from God. But further than that even, the Bible teaches us that, that we're to give respect to others even when they don't deserve it. Hmm. So respect begins with, with our respect for God. But then right next to that is the Bible teaches us that we're to respect those in the position of authority. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. I'll turn there myself. And it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Hmm. Hmm. Now watch this now. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Listen to this now. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor or respect the emperor. Now flip over to Romans chapter 13. Let me show you another. Romans chapter 13. Are you there? Beginning at verse 1. 
Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Let me stop right there. All authority, all authority. Everybody say all. All authority is God-given. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now drop down to verse 7. Look at what it says. It says, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, give respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So the word of God commands us to honor, to respect those who are in positions of authority. Watch this now, even when they don't deserve it. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26, we find the story of David. He's camped out in a cave that overlooks the Valley of Ziph, I believe is, is what it's called. Yeah. And in the Valley of Ziph, Saul has brought with him 3,000 men. He's in search for David. He wants to kill him, right? David already had one opportunity to kill Saul, but he decided that he wouldn't. He knew that it wasn't right. So now he's standing over this camp and he's overlooking and he sees Saul going to his tent. Help me, Lord. He sees Saul walking to his tent. And he looks over to a couple of his mighty men and he says to them, who will go down into this camp with me? Abishai says, I'll go with you. And so they wait till the middle of the night and David and Abishai sneak into the camp of the enemy, sneak into Saul's tent. Standing over Saul, and I can just picture Abishai, there's a, there's, a, there's a spear right by Saul's head. It's Saul's spear. I can picture Abishai walking over to the spear, getting ready to take it. And David said, what are you doing? Hold up, man. And he tells David, he says, listen, give, I can pin him to the ground right now. Let me pin him to the ground, please. Listen to what David says. He says, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Listen, sometimes we have to give respect to those that do, don't even deserve respect. God wants us to respect others because of their position in our lives. We're to honor and respect those who are governing over us. Because they exist in that position by the very will of God. Respect must be given to our authorities whether we agree with them or not. We're commanded, the Bible commands us to pray for governing officials without respect to our own political preferences. Respect. Listen to me. As followers of Christ, God commands that we give respect. You know, last week I talked about sober-mindedness and self-control, and I said self-control was my ability to act rationally when I'm faced with circumstances that I've already thought through. I said that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember that? I believe the Scripture is clear, that, that there is a difference between respecting someone just just because you want to be respectful, respectful and honoring a person 
who is respectable. You show me a person who has the the fruit of the spirit, self-control, and I'll show you a person who's living a respectable life. Here's the definition of respectable, the biblical definition. To be well thought of, honest, honorable, trustworthy, decent, a good person, good moral character, good, clean living. Respectable describes a person whose orderly outward life is a reflection of an inward stability, a reflection of a sober mind. It manifests itself in how we carry ourselves in life. It's what's on the inside of us being lived out on the outside, fleshed out in our everyday lives. That's respectable. Here's a key statement for you. I want you to take this with you. A respectable life is one that's incompatible with perpetual disorder, confusion, excess, violence, laxity, harshness, and meanness. Let's look at verse 3 of our text. Verse 3 of our text today lists four general aspects of self-control. That, that when they're aligned with, with consistent godly behavior, they result in a respectable lifestyle. These four knots, and, and you'll see what I mean in a minute, represent the personal qualifications that at their core reflect integrity and honor and respect in the relationships that we have. Now listen, although we're we're talking about the qualifications for an elder here and we're talking about respectable within this context, I want you to know that all three, all four of these, these knots also apply to every single follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? Here's the first one in verse 3, not given to drunkenness. Here's what I want to clear up for you. Scripture doesn't, doesn't teach us that we can't have alcohol, that alcohol is prohibited. Scripture doesn't prohibit that. It prohibits drunkenness. Any person that's controlled by by a substance or any sort of of substance or vices is unable to think clearly and therefore unable to lead with integrity. Drunkenness removes the Holy Spirit's ability to use us for God's glory. Turn with me to Proverbs 23 and 31. Let me show you why. Proverbs 23 and 31. Are you there? Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, It goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent. It stings like an adder. (laughs) Listen, let me tell you something. I haven't been saved all of my life. And many of y'all haven't been saved all of your lives either. You know what what the scripture is saying here, right? When you had too much to drink. In the end, it bites like a serpent. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like the one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. 
They beat me, but I did not feel it. What does that sound like? Sound like somebody that didn't control their tongue and got, got the business, doesn't it? Says so when I awake, I must have another drink. That's indicative of a person that is being consumed by alcohol and now has a habit that he can't break. Wakes up in the morning thinking about alcohol, thinking about when, when I can get drunk again. The Bible says that we're not to be drunk. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, do not be drunk with wine which it, wherein is of excess. That's the King James. The ESV says, that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> let, me give you, let me give you the Greg's translation. Don't be filled with the spirits, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> old, old folks used to say, be drunk on the Holy Spirit. You're going to get drunk on something, get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Second knot is not violent. A person, but okay, not violent speaks to a person who's quick tempered, quick to fight, quick to want to get into it. I mean, we're talking about literally wanting to fist fight, always looking for a scrap, always looking to get in a scrap in times of trouble. Qualifications of the elder says, in contrast, that an elder is supposed to be gentle and forbearing in his relationships, especially with those who are making trouble. Says, it says that he's to be a gentle man that's kind and merciful and considerate. So too should every child of God. Let me ask you a question. How's your temper? How's your temper been? Keep moving on. Verse 3 says, not quarrelsome. And I, in other words, not going around trying to pick a verbal fight. You ever been around somebody, it seems like they're always looking for an excuse to argue with you? Man, sure it's going to be a nice day outside. Why? It's snowing outside. It's cold. Always looking for, for a reason to argue, to quarrel. Antagonistic. Can't control their tongue. Let me ask you a question. Have you been controlling your tongue? You've been going around picking fights? Hmm. Not a lover of money. In other words, he's generous, not influenced by the status of the rich, finds his treasure in God and his devotion to God and God alone. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 and 24, listen, he says, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and you will hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and you will despise the other. Watch this. You cannot serve God and money. And so Paul demands that an overseer not be a lover of money. That's because an overseer of the church has responsibilities, fiduciary responsibilities to oversee the church finances. And a lover of money would rather invest in things than in the needs of people. 
Scripture tells us that a respectable elder will always place the care of people over the needs of things. To use the money for the right reasons. See, there's nothing wrong with money. It's, it's the love of money. Money's not evil. 1 Timothy 6 tells us that it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So when you have someone that's a lover of money, you have an open door for evil things to take place. Somebody say amen. Just want to make sure you're out there. So the four knots represent personal qualifications of a respectable life. Now let's look at the second qualifier, and that is family qualifications. See, in a time where, where respect seems to be lost, there is a principle of respect that we can keep alive. How do we do that? How do we, how do we cultivate respect? Where do we begin? Scripture tells us it all begins in our home. It all starts with living out godly biblical principles of respect in our homes with our families. Verse 7 says an elder is supposed to manage his household well, which means that it's imperative that an elder creates an environment that nurtures their family and fosters godly living, Christian values. And listen, home must always be the number one priority. For those of you who've been in ministry here for any period of time, you know that that's my heart. You know that, that I've always said that as a preacher's kid, I know what it's like to be sacrificed on the altar of ministry. And so for you, ministry is not here in the church as your first priority. Your ministry begins in your home. Hmm. It's your number one priority. For a father to have children who are submissive doesn't mean that he has to use excessive force or excessive sternness, but rather it speaks to, to the character of a man who knows how to parent in a way that fosters a discipline that develops a natural respect. One of the most reliable, although it's not foolproof, one of the most reliable means of determining the quality of a man's leadership is by, by, by uh, examining the behavior of his children. Do his children respect him? Do they honor him? Do they submit to his leadership? And a man that governs or, or oversees his household well understands that leadership begins with a demonstration of respect and love for his wife. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 tells us, tells husbands to respect their wives. What does that look like practically, Pastor Greg? I'm glad you asked me. Put down the phone sometimes. I'm kind of I've been hard on that phone the last couple of weeks, haven't I? There's a, there's a reason for that. Put that phone down sometimes. Give your wife your undivided attention. Look her in the eyes when she's talking to you. Hmm. Do the dishes sometime without her having to ask you. Wash your dirty laundry sometime. Hmm. And do this thing, do these things not just because, you know, you got Valentine's Day coming up and you want to be extra sweet. Now, let me tell you something, brothers. If you don't know this, a little attention and respect goes a long way. Thank you, Jesus. 
Respect your wives. And in the same way, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 tells the wives to respect their husbands. Listen, 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 women or wives, you should never go around saying things that tear your husband down. Be careful what you say in front of your children. Say only good things about their father. Brag on him. Brag on your man. Teach them to respect their dad. Listen, you heard Palzetta saying that. Listen, she, didn't, she hadn't seen or heard what I was going to preach about today. So that had to come from the Lord. You have the power in your grasp to make your husband, your man, a hero or a villain. You do, ladies. And that's the reason why 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 15, what it's referring to in women in leadership, it says, it says listen, essentially this, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The best investment, ladies, that you can make in changing this world is investing in your children, teaching them godly principles. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 to show you what that looks like. And this isn't just for women, this part. This is for the men in the house, too, as we leave. Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's in the Old Testament. Beginning at verse 6, are you there? And these are the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, or when you're driving in your car, or when you're going to the store, or when you're meeting them at the school. When you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be the, as frontlets on your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your heart, of your house, and on your gates. What's he saying here? He's saying that cultivating a principle of respect begins at a very early age in the home. And I'll say this, children learn respect or disrespect by what we model as parents. Ephesians chapter, two, chapter 6 verse 2 says, children, we're on the children now, respect your parents. It says, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your mother and father that your days may be long. Listen to me, all the children in the house, which we all are children. If you have living parents, honor and respect your parents. It's the first commandment with promise that your days may be long. And if you're young, if you're a young adult in here, you have no idea at this point. Trust me, you have no idea how much your parents have sacrificed for you to be where you're at. Quiet in this sanctified church today. You have no idea what your parents have sacrificed to be for you to be where you're at. Listen, my mom and dad had eight kids. My dad had a fifth grade education, so he didn't have a great job. He had to work multiple jobs to make ends meet. 
My dad is my hero. My dad couldn't even read and write coming all the way up through high school. I watched my father get a tutor and learn how to read and write and do math because he wasn't able to go to school. He had to work the field. See, we're not too long removed from that kind of stuff, you guys. He had to work the fields. I remember, I remember one day walking in my house when I was getting ready to, to go to men's fraternity. Walked in the door. It was about 6 o'clock in the morning. I opened the door. My father was surrounded by books, just reading. Learn how to read. We have no idea what our parents had to sacrifice for us to have what we have. I used to tell my mom all the time, say, Mom, I said, thank you for not putting a pillow on my head when I couldn't help myself. We have no idea. So to wrap this up, we talked about personal qualifications. We talked about family qualifications. Now I want to talk to you about church qualifications. What does it look like for a good leader to be qualified in the church? Scripture tells us he must be well thought of by outsiders, and he must have a good testimony outside the church. Why? So that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. You can bring your team up, Larry. In other words, he has the respect of those outside the church. He has the respect of those who are unsaved. He has a good name in the community. Hmm. He, he's not a Sunday, he's not just a Sunday Christian. You know what a Sunday Christian is? Had an old, an, an old pastor, my old pastor, his name was Elder Parham, Elder Leroy Parham. That'll tell you something right there. He called them Sunday Wonders. He called them Sunday Wonders. Oh, you could put it on. Knot it up, put the facade on on Sunday morning, but then you live like a hellion all week long. <laughs> no, a person that's respectable has, has a good name in the community because what you see on Sunday is what you get throughout the rest of the week. Somebody ought to say amen to that. And that's not just for elders. That's for all of us who named the name of Jesus Christ. When we do that, family, that's living a life that's worthy of respect. And I say this, no one's perfect. There's, there's no perfect person except for Jesus Christ. Our elder candidates are not perfect men. But they are men who have good standing in the community and good standing in the church, and they are worthy of your respect. I want to close with this scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them highly, to honor them, to respect them. Esteem them highly in love because of their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves. I want to close by asking you this question. Are you living a life that's both respectful and respectable? Are you giving respect where respect is due? And are you living in a way that others can respect you? That's the call to every follower. 
That's what I want for every single member of this church family. I want us to live a life that people come to us because they see something that's different. They see a consistency in our walk. They see a love for one another. They see a power and authority that comes as a follower of Jesus Christ. They see us living a life that's worthy of respect. I want that for me and I want that for we can have it. Would you stand with me? In a few moments, we're going to walk out of here and we're going to go take communion together. Paul tells us, he says, before you take communion, let a man examine himself. So I want you to to stop right now and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart if there's anything in you that you haven't surrendered to him, that you haven't asked forgiveness for, won't you take a moment to do that right now? Father, I'm thankful for your word today. May it settle deep into our hearts, produce seeds of righteousness that will manifest in us living lives that are worthy of respect and honor and lives that glorify you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.